I want to see Jesus in a dream. That's what this young woman shared with one of our global partners, one of our missionaries who is boots on the ground in a very sensitive area in the world. Uh, We can't even share exactly where this is, and we're not going to share this missionary's name. However, they were there talking to someone, we'll call her Sarah. And Sarah said, I want to see Jesus in a dream. However, even to say his name is against my religion. You see, she would tell the global partner over there that she was a follower of Islam, and for she was Muslim, and that she only had to serve Allah, and that there'd be no way that she could ever be, that her mind could ever be changed to view anything else. And so this missionary said, okay, um, well, I'd love to meet with you. Maybe over the next few weeks, I can just share with you about who Jesus is. And she said, I want to know why you read that book so much. And the missionary said, because it's true. And so they met over the next few weeks, over the next few months. And then one day she said, okay, let's pray. And she said, I want to see Jesus in a dream. And the missionary said, well, let's pray together. The next day they follow up and she said, I have prayed to see Allah for years. I prayed once and Jesus met me and all I saw was light and peace. That's what it's like when we bring the good news of Jesus Christ all over the world. Then she would go on record saying something that would not only separate her from her family, but the entire area that she was in. Now she is under a microscope because what we call her Sarah, Sarah is now someone who rejected Allah and she said this publicly. I have followed Allah for 21 years and he has done nothing for me. In just two years, Jesus has done so much for me. I know following him is the best decision I can ever make. You know what's amazing about Sarah's story is you were part of that. You got to be part of that. And you're like, how could I be part of what is happening somewhere else in the world? What is happening here locally, globally, in future generations? How can I be part of that? Because you sent what I will call a goer. You sent a goer. In fact, we get to be goers, but we get to send goers. And what do I mean by a goer? Where do I even get this idea from? After the resurrection of Jesus, after he has walked to the hill of Golgotha, the place of the skull, just outside of Jerusalem, this is very important, just outside of Jerusalem, just outside of Jerusalem on a hill, Jesus is crucified. Then he is buried and then he raises from the dead. And he could say anything. And what does he tell the disciples? We talked about this last week. He says, Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, therefore, go. Now, if it were me, if I were Jesus, which thank goodness I am not, if I were Jesus, I would have said, gentlemen, gotcha, (laughs) I gotcha, you thought I was gone, I'm still here, but he said, no, I want to give you a mission. I want to give you this understanding of a change of ownership, all authority has been given to me, so I have universal authority. Right, this is not just talking about the power that Jesus has. Power is the ability to get something done. Authority is, is having the ultimate sovereign power to make sure that it gets done no matter what comes against you. He says, all authority has been given to me. So I have a universal power and we have a universal mission to go, as Jesus said. Can you believe that Sarah today knows Jesus because someone said yes to the last command of Jesus? Go. Think about the other people that are all over the world who have never heard of Jesus. And how will they hear? Romans would say, how will they know if no one is sent? How will they be sent if no one is called? How will they know? Think about the unreached people groups all over the world. 
Three billion people who are unreached people groups, meaning they have no access to the gospel unless they meet a goer who shows them Jesus. How do we reach those people? How am I right here in San Diego supposed to reach those people? Watching online, sitting in the patio, how am I supposed to reach those people? How do we reach the unreached with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ? And as soon as uh, we often talk about this idea of witnessing or, or, or evangelism, there's this tension that builds up. And I'm just going to call it out right now because it's probably in the room. There's this tension with believers and tension with unbelievers, or not yet believers as I like to call them. It's, this is the tension. As a believer, I don't want to offend anyone. And as a not yet believer, I don't want to be offended. Now, think about how radical that is. If we have the cure for the greatest sickness in the world, and we're saying, I don't want to offend anybody by saying, I know someone who can heal you. That just doesn't make sense in my head. And then to think, if you are that person with that illness that is truly causing us to die and have complete isolation from the one who can ultimately heal us, wouldn't it be more offensive if no one told you about Jesus? And you're thinking, well, I'm not worried about being offended or I'm not worrying about being offensive. Marcus, I just don't know all the answers. <laughs> Neither do I. And I have a mic on. I've learned over the years when I would say, God, I don't have all the answers and, and I have speech impediments and I'm not sure what to say. Jesus reminded me, Marcus, as we talked last week, just focus on the Bible. And Marcus, I don't need your eloquence. I just want your obedience. So what if we were simply obedient to the call of God to simply go and we became goers and we got to see God move around the globe starting here in San Diego and everywhere else in the world if we got to be part of what God is calling us to do today right now in this moment but I think we have to go back to where this commission began if you have your Bibles you turn with me to the book of Matthew this is the first book in the New Testament uh, we were in Daniel these past few weeks, which is in the Old Testament, after Psalms and Proverbs, Isaiah. Uh, then you eventually saw Ezekiel. Then you saw Daniel. You're going to keep going to the right. You'll see Hosea. You'll eventually get to Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament. And then you'll see Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. And in Matthew, this is Matthew's gospel, uh, the gospel according to Matthew. He just wants to share with everyone who would ever read this letter. He's saying, I want you to know this, that Jesus truly is... The one we have been waiting for. That's his entire message. And so then he ends his gospel, Matthew 28. If you were wondering how many chapters are in Matthew, this is actually the last chapter. And he says, I want to share what Jesus shared with us. And I want you just to, for a moment, to sit in the feeling and the emotions that the disciples would have felt at the time. They've been walking with Jesus for years. You know, three to three and a half years walking with Jesus every single day. They followed Jesus. They saw Jesus do a, a ton of miracles. They would listen to Jesus. They saw him give the greatest sermon ever preached still to this day. And they were walking with him. And then all of a sudden, after Judas, one of their own, betrays him, Jesus is taken. He is arrested. He has these trials. And then he is put on a cross. And then he is gone. So they're probably thinking, I thought he was the Messiah. I thought he was the one that was going to save the world. I thought he was Emmanuel, God with us. I thought he was the one who was going to change everything for the better. Yet he is gone. Doesn't that sound like us? God, you said, but where are you? 
And that's where we find the disciples. On that Sunday morning after Jesus had shared and he had resurrected and the angel of the Lord spoke and they knew where they needed to go. It was the first. Just meet me at this place. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Just pause there for a second. They're on a mountain. Looking out, being able to see the rest of the land, the rest of the area. And Jesus would give them some of his last words. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Thank God that as you look at scripture, you still find doubt that may be present in your life and in my life. That Jesus is not worried about the doubt. He says, just bring it to me. Just bring that doubt to me. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. How are we going to be able to reach the unreached? According to what Jesus says, we need to have a global vision for my life and the world. I like to say it this way. This is us taking Jesus seriously. When he was asked, what is the greatest law of all of the laws, the 613 laws, what must we actually follow? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love others. Love your neighbors. Love God and love others. That's it. What if we took him seriously when he called us to go? I recently heard a story of a pastor who was sharing a similar message like this and talking about witnessing and evangelism. And there was someone rushed outside to talk with him on the patio. And, and they said, I love that you talk about witnessing and evangelism. I do it all the time. And, and, and he was like, oh, that's so great. What does that look like in your life? Well, she says, I do it at least twice a week. I do evangelism twice a week. And he said, you're making it sound like it's a pill you take, not a lifestyle you live. We should just be goers. It should just be who we are. Jesus would say that the harvest is great, but the workers are few. In other words, Jesus is saying, we need goers. I love how one pastor and author says it. He says, the reason we're not experiencing a harvest is because we're walking in an unseeded field. We need people that will go and simply plant seeds. Who don't have all the answers, but have the answer. If we just knew that when Jesus told the disciples that all authority was given to him, what if he meant it? And then when he tells me and you, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, what if we took that seriously? What if we took the the single word that Jesus tells us? At the beginning when he called the disciples, he gave them two words, follow me. And as he sends them out, he says one word, go. What if we took him seriously when he said go? And you're looking at the go, and, and I love how one of my professors told me, he said, Marcus, what part of go don't you understand? And I still ask myself, what part of go don't we understand? And it might come because we're thinking, well, well I mean, I can't do what they did. And I know it may feel like that, 
But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said to go. We, we must be willing to go. And that word go means to travel as you are going, as you are traveling, as you are moving, as you are proceeding, as you are going anywhere, going to work, going to Smart and Final, going to the store, going on a hike. You should be a goer. Someone that has seeds in your pocket of the hope and the good news of Jesus Christ, just dropping seed everywhere and saying, someone's going to pick this up. I'm going to plant. As Paul says, one plants, one waters, but God brings the growth. What if we were true goers that followed the focus? Focus of making disciples and the process of baptizing, teaching, and then I'll add remembering. We baptize, we teach, and then we remember that God is with us. Some of the last words we have recorded in the Gospel of Matthew of Jesus are reminding them, I am Emmanuel, God with you. And you remember when you read Isaiah, you read Daniel as we read recently, talking about all of the authority and all of the power, I have that. And if someone were to walk up to you and say, all authority has been given to me, here is your command. We don't get to respond, no thank you. If he has all authority, <laughs> he has all authority. And I believe when it comes to our, our focus of discipleship and our process of baptizing, teaching, and remembering that he is with us always, we need to focus on the definition and also the demonstration and I believe they're, they're connected. The definition of a disciple, I said it this way, is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. Do you notice it's the definition and the demonstration? I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he goes. I'm going to allow God to change me however he wants because he has all authority and all power. And I'm going to be committed to his mission. Could you imagine if the disciples heard Jesus and he says, therefore go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and I'll be with you to the end of the age. And they said, ah, sounds like a lot. Um, you know, could I, could we just go back to being fish, fisher guys? I know, but you kind of changed the word fisherman, but no, we literally just want to catch literal fish and like if they get saved, awesome, but we're just catching fish now. They didn't get to respond no because they were true disciples. And there's no such thing as a secret disciple. Either becoming a true disciple will destroy your secrecy and you're made public or your secrecy will destroy your discipleship. There's no such thing as a secret disciple. So they said, we must go. Imagine if they didn't go. Imagine if those disciples didn't go make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We wouldn't be here. Newbreak wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. Imagine if those disciples didn't go to make disciples who make disciples. We'd have never heard the name Edward Kimball, who was a Sunday school teacher, who would lead many kids to Jesus. And one of those kids being Mordecai Ham. He would lead Mordecai Ham to Jesus. Mordecai Ham's life would be transformed so much that all he could do is proclaim the love of Jesus and that God loved others. And he would share that and share that different revivals, different churches, different platforms. He would share and share and share. And one day while he was sharing, a young man named Billy Graham walked up and his life was changed. And then Billy Graham with that same fire put on revivals and told people all about Jesus and I love Jesus. And then one day in 2004 at the Rose Bowl, Billy Graham is having a crusade and a young man named Marcus Witherspoon walks up and says, man, God loves me. Imagine if those disciples didn't make disciples who make disciples. 
I wouldn't be here because someone told Edward Gimbel about Jesus. Edward Gimbel told Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham told Billy Graham. Billy Graham shared that good news with me. Imagine if you didn't go. Imagine what the next generation looks like if you don't go. Imagine what your neighborhood looks like, what our schools look like, what your workplace looks like if you don't go. What if we reach the neighbors in our community, but also our neighbors internationally? You're thinking, couldn't God just do this all himself? He does, through you. And to save people, God sends people. And I'll say it again, as my professor said, what part of go don't we understand? You're thinking, it's just so difficult, and, and I feel like I have to have it all together, and I just, by myself, can't do it. You're right, I'll leave you off the hook. You don't have to go by yourself. But you will go with the Holy Spirit because Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You can't do it on your own. But Jesus says, okay, really, these are my last words because I'm about to go up into the clouds and it's going to be insane. Everyone pull out your phones, record this. And he says, I'm about to go up, but you're going to receive the power. That's where we get the word dynamite. The word is dunamis. You're going to receive that much power. It's going to be explosive and you're going to be my goers. In San Diego, here in Tirasana, in San Diego, San Diego County, in California, to the nation and to the nations. I love when we see in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, when you see, go and make disciples of every nation. That word nation is ethnos. That's where we get our word ethnicity. We often like to think of places. It's people. Because God is always about people. He says, I want you to go and get the people in Jerusalem. Get the people in Judea. Get the people in Samaria and get the people on the end of the earth and let them know there is a hope that transforms everything. But God, it might be difficult to go. He says, have you met the Holy Spirit? Do you know what he can do? How he can empower you? How he can send you out? Where you're not worried about the words that you're going to say because you go back to scripture and it says, the spirit will give us words when we're not sure what to say. Do you know how many times I've had conversations with people and whether I'm on a bike ride or a run or I'm talking with someone at the grocery store and they're saying, why are you getting all this fruit? This happened last time we were doing giving message. Why are you getting all this fruit? I love our worship leader, Leah, and she said, you're that kid from all the word problems in elementary school. If you didn't get it, you weren't in school during the time. Why are you getting all this fruit? They didn't say, oh, I'm just out of church. I said, you know, this, is actually, this actually represents... Everything that God has done for me. What? And I don't know what they're going to say after that. They might say, just get out of here. You're insane. And they said, how can fruit represent what God has done for you? And I said, well, let's finish the transaction. I'll stand over here while you check the other people in line. I said, and when there's a break, we can talk. I didn't know what to say. So while she was checking what I was really saying, I'm going to stall for a little bit and I'm going to pray. (laughs) Holy Spirit, fruit and you, I don't know. (laughs) But I'm supposed to be a goer. Lord, I refuse to miss someone because it's uncomfortable for me to go. When Jesus was asked, who's my neighbor? He gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. When someone was going down to Jerusalem and they were robbed and they were just lying left for dead on the road and people walked up, believers walked up and did nothing. And then a Samaritan came up, someone who was despised at the time and did something. And Jesus said, which one loved their neighbor? 
And everyone in awe said, the one who cared for them. Do we love our neighbors? Or do we stop when it gets uncomfortable? And I think for many of us, when it comes to being a goer, we like to flip this. We're like, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Lord, I just want to go to Africa. Send me to Africa, God. God, I can't wait, can't wait for the next Mexico house build trip. Lord, I'm just so ready to just share your word as, as I work for you. And he says, you know, Becky in accounting, she needs to hear the hope. Well, God, that's just uncomfortable. Do you know your neighbors? They need to hear the hope. We just had trunk or treat, and it was amazing as we were here, and it was, had so many people coming through, and they got to experience the life and the light that we are here as a lighthouse in our community. And my neighbors started texting me, and they said, we knew you had an event at the church, but you're on the microphone right now, aren't you? I said, I sure am. And they said, you're talking about Cinderella? And one of them said, get me a picture with Spider-Man. And I was like, I don't know, you'll have to be here to get that. But in our text conversations, I said, you know, if you want to experience it, you're going to have to get here. And one of my neighbors responded, not yet. And that's all I needed. That's all I needed. We're so close, church. But could you imagine if I wasn't willing to go to my neighbors? You're not willing to go to our neighbors. Lord, send me across the world. He says, no, I've just sent you. We must be goers. Like Gilbert Contreras, you saw him and his family that we've been supporting for over 20 years here at Newbreak. 20 years. We've been supporting him. And when he started, he was kind of like, I don't know exactly. I just know I'm going to tell people about Jesus. And now every single month in those 20 years, he's launched another missionary. So there are over 200 missionaries because of one missionary that we support. You're sending goers into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the ends of the earth. That's what we get to do. That's why we're so passionate about these kinds of opportunities. When our global partners are being kingdom builders. And am I? Are you? Is kingdom builders just an idea that we have on Sundays? Or are we truly kingdom builders where we want to build the kingdom of God? Where we get to share that Jesus loves people, that he forgives people. He is radically generous and he is forever changing us and transforming us. That's the type of movement, that's the type of going that we should have. This right now is practice. Once we get outside these walls, it's game day. For many of us, we say, oh, on the cruise ship, I would like, you know, it'd be great, um, Switch up the communion. I don't like that cracker. Mm -mm. Um, And then also switch up the songs. I want something different. Can I get a little wider chairs? Um, Also, make sure the AC is on. I don't want it too cold and not too hot. Um, Make sure things are perfect for me. And if I could have someone that gave me a massage and Marcus finish up your message, that'd be great. And God said, this is not a cruise ship. This is a battleship where we are learning to go into the battle because there are the dark forces of the enemy that are trying to steal, kill, and destroy the next generation, the current generation, and previous generations. What is happening in our world today is a spiritual battle. And we are looking at it and saying, this needs to be fixed by natural means. And God is saying, I'm sending you. Would we be goers? My prayer is we would be. My prayer is we would actually look like like Paul looked like in Acts chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me? Also in the New Testament, this is after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be in Acts chapter 21. What is happening in this moment while you're turning? Paul is actually telling the people that have been kind of following with him. He's saying, I'm going back to tell people in Jerusalem all about Jesus. 
And they're saying, you can't go there because they're going to kill you. Do you know what they did to Jesus? He said, of course I know what they did to Jesus. Do you know what Jesus did for the world? And they said, you can't go. And they're holding on to him. And then he tears himself away from them. Because he says, you're not going to stop me from what God is doing within me and what he wants to do through me. He was the ultimate goer. Starting in verse 1. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day, we went to Rhodes, and from there, Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went aboard, and set sail. This is like southern Asia portion here. After sighting Cyprus and passing the south of it, we sailed to Syria. Went, to, went and landed in Tyre, where our ship was, was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there. Who? The disciples. Who? The disciples. Where did Jesus tell them to go? You've been my witnesses. In where? Jerusalem. The disciples were immediately obedient. I wonder how many of us wait. God asks and we say, oh, maybe 2026. That, that's when I'll start going, God, this, at that point. And it better be a good trip. An easy trip. I don't want to go. And like, if it's going to cost me something, I really don't. That'd be really nice. He says, oh, you want a vacation? That's not being a goer. He says, we sought the disciples and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, that is a whole theological concept that we don't have time to get into. In other words, there was something within them that wasn't sitting right because they were going to lose someone they loved. I have the list of our missionaries, and I pray for them regularly, and I can't tell you how many tears I have cried, because they are in places that either we have forgotten about, or unreached people groups, or extremely dangerous. I'm saying, Lord, I don't want to hear another story about a missionary losing their life. So imagine the pain that they're feeling. When it was time to leave, in verse 5, we left and continued our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us to the city. There on the beach, we knelt to pray. If we're going to go, we must start with prayer. We start with prayer. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre, landed in Ptolemy, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached out to Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. What I love about just adding that one name, Philip, Philip is someone who was like part of like the deacons at the time. And Philip, his job was simply to bring food to other people. Just be a compassion missionary. Bring food and while they're eating, get them. <laughs> Tell them about Jesus at that time. It's like part of the bread ministry. And they're like, oh, we got some hot bread and I got some hot news for you. I'm ready. So Philip is there. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, prophet Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us. Look at the imagery here. He took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says... In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Why is Agabus saying this? Because he knows that if Paul does go to this place and say that the Messiah has come and he is here and he is resurrected, 
He saved the entire world. You don't have to wait anymore. He's already here. Now you get to go. That the Jewish people had the power to imprison. And also they would beat. They would have 40 lashings minus one. And then the Jewish people would give you over to the Gentiles. Who would bring you over to the Romans. Who had the authority to kill. Just like they did to Jesus. Agabus is saying, do you know what they did to Jesus? And look at Paul. When we heard this, we and the people pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping? Why, why are you breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He said, I'm walking in the footsteps of Jesus no matter where they lead me. Because I'm a goer. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. I love how they're just like, okay, whatever. If you're going to do whatever you're going to do, the Lord's will be done. Paul, the ultimate goer, the ultimate apostle, the one who would say, my life has been transformed by Jesus. I'm just ready to live for him no matter what it takes, no matter what it costs. No fear, no hesitation. I'm just going to go. What if that's how we could live? What if we learned to live without reservation? And hesitation. And God, I just want to live for you. And we follow what they had. They have this, this mission to pray. I'm going to kneel and pray. We talked about the 100 missionaries that we have all over the world. The over 100 missionaries we have all over the world. Uh, some here in America. Because we need Jesus too. I don't know if you knew. What if we prayed for them? What if we gave? And what if we were goers? What if we pray, we give, and we go? I heard a story of a missionary who was going to a very secret place, um, in a place where he was extremely persecuted for his faith. And he came back to share with the church, and they said, just like this, we don't want you to go. It's like you're going to a bottomless pit, where you'll never be able to get out of it again. And he said, yes, but in that bottomless pit, there are people. And I'll go down the bottomless pit as long as you hold the rope. You know what our missionaries are asking? For us to hold the rope. They'll go. Because in the places that they're in, again, that we can't even share, what is happening to them and their families and to believers is so painful to even hear. And we talk about the persecution that we face here in California, San Diego. And the missionaries say, if you only knew what it was like to get shot at. If you only knew what it was like to profess your faith when there are gunmen outside of the church. We live without reservation. We have the courage and the compassion to go. This is just like Paul, how he said, I'm ready. It doesn't matter, I'm, I'm ready. Because again, the, the focus is on people. The focus is on people. This is why Gilbert Contreras was able to send the missionaries because he said there's 8 billion people in the world and 40% of them are the unreached people groups who will never hear about Jesus until they meet a goer who shows them who Jesus is. I don't care how much it costs, we're going to send them. We're going to send them. I'll take the sacrifice, it doesn't matter. We need to send them. They have to go. And we're like, well God, that's not convenient for me. I've gotten really comfortable with what I have and what I'm doing and my pace. God, I'm very comfortable. 
And I want to ask this question that I've I felt like God has asked me multiple times. Where have I let my personal comfort get in the way of God's calling for my life? Where have I missed the opportunity when God said go and I've said I'm not ready? Instead of responding like Paul, I'm ready. Where have I avoided what is costly to keep what is comfortable? What part of go am I not understanding? One of our missionaries was preaching the gospel and he ended up getting on the FBI watch list because in the area that he was in, there was a hit list put out for people like him. Unfortunately, one of those hits was successful for one of his friends who was also a missionary. So the FBI came, picked up him and his family and brought them back to the States. And they're telling him, you can't go out there. We had to come and get you because they've been successful with the other names on this list. And we don't want that to happen to you and your family. So as he's back in the States, where he could have been saying, oh man, it's so nice to be here. Gosh, running water. (laughs) Man, bottled water. Any type of food I could ever want. Man, it's just so nice to be here. Do you know what he said? To the FBI. Okay, well then where can I go? You're telling me someone wants to end my life? I wonder if he thought of Paul. I'm ready. I'm ready to go now. Where can I go? You're telling me I can't go there? Well, there are people who don't know Jesus everywhere. So where can I go? He said, there are people in the world who need to know that Jesus is real. And it's the hope and the light and the peace that they have never experienced before. It's only found in Jesus. And he's embraced, along with many of the other missionaries we we support, a live dead mentality. Live dead is actually an organization of missionaries who actually have this mission of being willing to live dead and dying to self so that the unreached might live for Jesus. No matter the place, no matter the area, they say, we're going to go. One of their verses that they remind themselves of every time they go out into the field is what does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? And they think about the other people who are losing their souls. And they say, we have to go. We have to go. One of our missionaries went to a very secluded place of our unreached people groups. And we've talked about about, um, these different unreached people groups many times. In fact, our Bible translation for the Inga tribe of Papua New Guinea, um, they actually are able to experience what this hope of Christ is because of you. And in Papua New Guinea, this group of people wasn't even found in the governmental census where they're able to see different areas. The government said these people don't even exist. So another place like that a missionary goes to And he tells this group about Jesus. That there is a man named Jesus who walked the earth, who did miracles. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He would die on a cross and resurrect so that you would have life and all of your sins would be forgiven. He's telling the story. And the chief of the tribe comes up to him. He says, when did this happen? 
And the missionary says, over 2,000 years ago. And the chief began to weep. He grabbed the missionary and said, what took so long? What took so long? And then the chief started to talk about his kids who had already died. And the other family members who had already died. He said, what took so long? And I think what took so long is that many of us have difficulty living a life that says yes to Jesus. The salvation moment when everything is changed forever, oh, I love that moment. But the discipleship process and the sanctification that goes on during that where God is changing us to remind us where our future lies in heaven, where everything on earth will pass away and I just get to be with him. I can surrender the American dream because I have a kingdom mentality. God, I just want to say yes to you. What if we could send more goers? This year, we've had many missionaries ask because they hear about you. And they're like, man, this church, Newbreak, they, they just support missionaries. And we have this really um, intensive vetting process. So it's not like anyone who comes in and is like, hey, I, you know, I, I shine shoes and tell people about Jesus. We're like, okay, well, let's, let's help you work through this. Um, we give them some great opportunities. We help them get connected with other organizations as well. But when they apply, they go through the process. We've had people apply, go through the process. And we want to be a church that says yes. And we've had to say, we know that you're called to go. And we know that you're going to go down into the pit. And we want to be able to hold the rope. But we have to say not yet. Because there's a cost to all of this. Plane trips, flights, materials. Maybe it's uh, someone who is learning the language, going to school. All of it costs. There's nine weeks left in 2023. We've been calling this Kingdom Builder Sunday, finish well. Finish well. What if we could finish well? These last nine weeks of 2023 became a church who says yes to what Jesus says. Between now and the end of the year, our goal, and it's a large goal. It's a large goal because we serve a large God. Between now and the end of the year, we want to raise $200,000 to transform lives all over the globe. And how in the world could a church like us do something like this? Because we're goers. And we pray for those who have gone. We send those who will go, and we celebrate the fact that we are building God's kingdom. So where do I fit in all of this? Well, if all of our families here at Newbreak, watching online, outside in the patio, if all of our families gave $250 between now and the end of the year, we could hit our goal. And you're thinking, that's it? You're right. If you're thinking that, you, maybe your family can do 500, 5,000, 50,000, 25,000. That's it? All my family has to give is 250? Yep. And more. If that number's too easy for you, give more. Because there's people who are waiting to be sent. They're, they're literally on the starting blocks. And they're just waiting, waiting for, for the game master just to click the gun so that they can finally go. And they're saying, who's going to hold the rope? Because there's people who are crying, what took so long? Here in America, what took so long? In Mexico, what took so long? In Chile, what took so long? In Egypt, what took so long? In the Middle East, our missionaries in the Middle East, 
people are asking, what took so long? If you gave $250 as a family, and maybe your neighbor, and your co-workers, between now and the end of the year, we could hit our goal. Okay, 250 may seem like a large number. What about $28 a week? I might be able to do that. It's the same number. I know, sometimes breaking it down, it helps us. This is the number that really got me, $4 a day. I remember growing up and I remember thinking if I had $5, I could have lunch and maybe even a little dinner. We spend more than $4 a day on stuff that doesn't even satisfy us. What if you and your family said, maybe we can do $10 a day between now and the end of the year. Maybe for us, maybe we're not a $250 family, Maybe we're a $1,000 family between now and the end of the year. Maybe we're a $10,000 family between now and the end of the year. Maybe we're a twenty, a fifty, dollars a $100,000 family till the end of the year. All we're asking for is 100 participation so that we would pray, that we would give, and that we would go. Because there are people who are waiting. My prayer is we would live a life that simply says yes to Jesus. Because our entire life is one big missions trip. And I'll leave you with the words that Paul closed his letter to the Colossians. He said, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer. Let's send goers, let's be goers, and celebrate together as we build God's kingdom. I wanna pray for us. And Pastor Kamar is going to walk up and share with us how we get to do this together. God, we come before you. We're asking now that you'd prepare our hearts. Lord, for some of us, it's, it, it's a dollar amount. For some of us, it's, it's something that may be a stretch for us. For some of us, it's praying continually and giving. For some of us, we want to pray, we want to give, and we can't wait for the next trip. God, we are called to be goers. So we refuse to say no to the one who has all authority and all power. We say yes to, to you. Let's begin here. Let's begin now. Our entire life is a mission trip. And the world must know. Because we're asking what took so long. Be with us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.